0: The incomparable is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Enhance your technology aptitude with IT Pro TV, the resource to keep your IT skills up to date with engaging and informative video tutorials. For a free 7-day trial and 30% off the lifetime of your account, go to itpro.tv/snell and use the code snell. The incomparable. Number 291.
1: March 2016.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the incomparable podcast. I convene this edition of our book club. Book club is back, yay! Ooh, and we read dear. two recently published oh, in the last Ooh. year novels uh, <laughs> of science fictional uh, description and origin. It is uh, we're going to be talking about Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson and Luna New Moon by Ian McDonald. And joining me to discuss these two novels are. A a wonderful panel of four people who have read at least as far in both of these novels as they could until it broke them and then possibly skimmed the rest of the way. It happens. Um, Aline Sims, welcome to the book club. I skimmed. Yeah, you were a skimmer. Yeah, that's okay. A skimmer. That's okay. I was, I was, well, this will come up in the what are we reading segment at the end, but I, I was broken by a, a book that is not one of these two books. And Scott was very kind in our Slack chat and said, Jason, you don't have to keep reading it. And that's very, very kind. And so true. I didn't. <laughs> Unless I'm going to do a Nebula Awards podcast. <laughs> in which case, I'm going to have to. Yeah, well, that was the question is now I might have to go back to it because I got nominated I for a Nebula Award. Anyway, we'll get there. Scott McNulty, of course, uh, he reads everything. Hi, Scott. Hello. You're not I, a skimmer. I, re- I
2: am not a skimmer. Uh, I read these books many months ago though, so it may seem like I skimmed them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I read them. I finished them about a month ago. So I too perhaps have have don't like no memory of them, but that's okay. We will remember as we go. Glenn Fleischman is also here. Hello. H- hello. I gave these books intensive attention. Good. At least one of <laughs> us did. And uh, Erica Ensign also read
3: did the reading. You did the reading, right? <laughs> I did. There was, I did a little bit of skimming at the end of one of mm. them, but, uh, yeah. but mostly mm. I was, I was fully paying attention-ish.
0: So I, again, speaking of that, <laughs> I that guess. other. so I, I've read, I've read, um, four novels in the last month and, and I know it's madness. Um, but what I, what I found is I I've actually read three all the way through while trying to get through that fourth. And I told my wife oh, this yeah. the other day that, you know, when I, uh, when I really struggling to get through a book, I probably should recognize that it's not me. It's the book because then I switch to a different book and, and, um, I switched to these two books. In fact, knowing that I, I was going to do this podcast, and I I read through them very quickly. And that other book, I still haven't finished. I'm still like fifty percent of the way through it. So I think that I think that is interesting that you can tell whether a book is working for you because either it pulls you along and you've got to read the more of the book, or you're like, oh man, I guess that's the book I'm reading. I guess I need to read more of that book. <laughs> yeah. I told Jason I'd be on a podcast about it. And, uh, sound familiar? Uh, let's yeah. start, okay. Let's start <laughs> alphabetically uh, because we have no. other... The re- way to order these books we're going to talk about aurora by kim, kim stanley robinson uh kim stanley robinson he's famous for writing especially the mars trilogy red mars green mars blue mars he uh got a lot of uh, nominations for awards uh and won the nebula award for 2312 a previous novel that we discussed in a previous book club and um i hated that book as did other people like glenn i hated that book yeah. i wrote a <laughs> I wrote an essay about how I thought I was losing
4: my mind reading that book because yeah. I love Kim Stanley Robinson's work very much. I read the whole Mars trilogy, a book of his short stories. I got a couple of other books on the shelf. And then I picked it up and I was mystified by it. So, but I did agree to read Aurora because I was yes. very curious. Me too.
0: Me too. Um, so Aurora. Aurora is a uh, – we're going we're gonna to fire off the spoiler horn in a moment. Um, and and uh, you can look in the show notes if you want to know or skip to the next chapter or something. If you want to skip to the next book, if you haven't read Aurora and don't want to hear us talking about it. But Aurora, in short, is about a generation ship. It's about a spaceship that is traveling from Earth to a planet around or a couple of planets as possible destinations around the star Tau Ceti. Um, they have been they have been traveling for um 160 years and seven generations and they're getting close to their destination so it's the story of the kind of end of the journey question mark of the generation ship that has reached this um this far off solar system that they may colonize and then the fun begins so that's the story <laughs> of aurora the fun let's what? fire off the spoiler horn now spoiler alert fun does not happen
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: no
0: and then the fun ends rapidly cuz well no there's 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 fun cuz there's a no, I don't. Know. I will. Can, can I
3: start because so I, I, I have something positive to say All and right. I just want to get it out. Wow, okay. <laughs> let's get, let's get the just let's get, get the
0: unpleasant with. fun and positive positivity out of the way early.
3: What? Uh, um, I and I, I will I will do this without spoiling the other book too. But I, I started reading them both uh, at the same time, kind of. I would read a, like, kind of a, a bit of one and then a chapter of the other and then just go back and forth. And at first, Aurora was the one that I wanted to go back to and continue reading because. because Because it's the beginning of a quest, basically, Um, you know, it's a a space journey. So yay, I I was interested in that aspect of it. And I liked at first, I liked the way the book was doing the world building. Um, because it's, you know, laying out the daily routine on a generational spaceship, establishing all the inherent risks and challenges to that kind of an undertaking. Um, at at that time, I didn't realize that that is all the book was. So so I was pretty happy with it at first. And I was finding myself dreading going back to the other book when I would go back and forth. Um, and then that changed. But I'll, I'll let somebody else go first before I start dumping <laughs> on it. Yeah, Um
1: I learned a lot about myself in the process of reading this book. Um, wow, <laughs> the journey
0: of self-discovery! It really oh, was. I mean. It was wonderful. Sometimes it you have to go wonderful. to another solar system to learn about yourself.
1: <laughs> so what I learned, I think, is that hard science books are not for me. No, no, you didn't that, learn that. And <laughs> <in the, laughs> that's not. What you have, I'm told that's not what I learned. Um, but.
0: Glenn will
4: tell you what? what you learned. Let
1: me tell you yeah. what
0: you Yeah, yeah. You should speak so, first and then Glenn will explain why.
1: Why I'm wrong. That's not
0: true. Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um, so this is something I should have probably known about myself doing some of the things I do, like having a podcast where I interview people and, you know, talking about Firefly, where I'm like, it's not about the fact that they're in, like cowboys in space. It's about the people and their relationship. I like learning about people, and this is not the book where you learn about people. Wow, no, this is a book where Aline skimmed over a lot of statisticy things that she didn't care about. <laughs> yep. um so the parts awesome. of the book. That kind of concentrated on, you know, in the beginning, you know, Freya goes on this journey, wandering the ship. I liked those parts. I liked learning about the people and how this all fit together and the world building. I liked that a lot. The
0: ship has got modules that are based on different eco ecosystems, different biomes, basically, with different cultures in them, and that's a way they maintain uh, not only the diversity of like the plants and animals that they're going to use to colonize, but also the cultures of Earth, sort of as they go and then she takes a, uh, a she wanders through the ship and, and we see the whole ship as a part of her mm. journey right
1: yeah and I, I loved that and then I loved the conceit you know um in the beginning we learned that our narrator is the computer computer yes. system I guess and I thought that was really cool and we kind of learned how the computer learned how to tell stories and I was like oh this is really really interesting I liked that a lot and then I skimmed the last 50%. Well, I
0: think I, I think it would be accurate to say that the novel takes a U-turn in the middle.
4: <laughs> uh, but, and
0: and uh, we will get there. Glenn, do you have a, an opening uh, open uh, statement? Hello, no,
4: I don't want to contradict anything Eileen said. I just want to, I want to uh, at all. I don't not, want to contradict your you experience. Not all sure.
0: hard science fiction novels. No,
4: yeah, not all. Exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I want to make a, distinguish- a distinction between this, which I would call like hard radiation of space and vacuum science, where you're just completely exposed without any shielding of any kind to the onslaught of endless bits of tri- trivia and information and ideas, which 2312, I have to say, was even worse in that regard, yes. even though there, was, oh, there were geez. stronger characterizations in 2312, I would say, than this. There was a lot more dialogue. <laughs> right, but more, they were
0: awful people. But they yes.
4: were awful people, it, but it was full of like just lists of things. It was his Boby Dick. This book, I found a very interesting exercise, and I, I want to talk about – I want some help actually teasing apart aspects of it because I'm still trying to figure out sort of what overlapping narratives were being told. But I think it was um, – at some level, I feel like it was a perfection of 2312, that it was mo- it was like reworking that book into something that people – more people might find readable but in the same thing he just took away all that shielding like the whole bit about you know the book is full of details about being exposed to radiation and all the you mm-hmm. know random particles in space and so forth and i feel like this is that kind of hard it's like mm. no no you have to first get i, I lean first to go back to school and get two phds then <laughs> come back and read this book and it'll yeah. be cool it'll be fine but <laughs> until then it had that like, warning on the on the inside yes, front cover requires do blood you have an advanced to
3: physics degree <laughs> I, I agree that with Glenn that it's it's not so much that it was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't certainly wasn't poorly written. I just, based on those first couple chapters, I think I expected that description stuff would happen in the first couple chapters, and then we would get on with the space adventuring and learning to love or at least like some of the characters. And, and I didn't really care all that much for the part with Freya going on her journey, but at least it was something was kind of happening with a person, and... Um, but the characters, to me, the characters and what they were doing felt almost entirely incidental to the world that was created and the science mm-hmm. of it. And, you know, sometimes on the other hand, you have a book that's so tunnel vision focused on the characters and the plot that you end up with giant gaping holes in the world. You can't see how anything beyond those few characters and their story work. And I think this book is 100 percent the opposite of that. It's so totally focused on the science of the journey and the mathematics of space and planetary bodies and radiation that it leaves those holes um, there are emotional holes where I expected the characters and the story to be. But that's that's a taste thing. So I'm I'm willing to cut books slack when they forget the world building uh is if they're focusing on the characters too much. I, I you know, some people don't feel that way. So if you're one of those people that hates that, maybe you prefer the opposite <laughs> the and opposite. you will like this book. <laughs> Can I float a theory that
4: just came to me after we discussed this way is Here's a theory that we're supposed to perceive the book like you read through the whole thing, and then you're supposed to perceive the book uh, like a whole where you realize the entire book is being written by the AI, including the part before the AI is writing it and the part after the AI is ostensibly destroyed, that we're supposed to perceive it as readers when we've completed it and go, ah – this entire thing is a constructed narrative by the AI, and the AI is not a reliable narrator necessarily, despite the amount of detail, because it doesn't know how to tell the story. But at the point at which it is ostensibly yep. destroyed, it's not, and we're reading a continuation where it's become a better storyteller. But the depersonalization, the lack of personality, the lack of characters is a function of the AI's inability to actually tell a story that we find satisfying. That's a narrative potential. Wow. I, I don't that think is...
0: I accept that, but it's a
3: fascinating theory. <laughs> I, I don't think I went quite that deep. I just I thought it was a, a perfect conceit that it was the computer that was telling the story and sort of learning how to be more human yeah. as it went because I felt like it was a computer that didn't understand what it means to be human that was telling me the story. But it can't tell talk. the
4: story before it starts telling the story. We have a point in the book in which it starts right. telling the story. And we have a point in the book when ostensibly it ends. My contention is maybe KSR was trying to tell us that there is no point before it tells the story, or point at which it's it's dead. I don't know. It's a it's a reading, and I don't know if it's. It, he tries to be very clever, and that might be the cleverness that we're supposed to see, or not, or not. But it still has to work as a story, even if you're telling a meta narrative. The story still has to work. You can't just be satisfied because there's some kind of overriding structure that we're supposed to love. You know, it still has to tell well, a story. Could, somebody could
3: read. be. I'm just not that somebody. <laughs> Scott,
2: mm. Scott, I'm tell somebody. Tell me. And, <laughs> tell me. Hey. hey, somebody. <laughs> So I picked both of these books because I really liked both of them. Uh, so, spoiler alert, I enjoyed this <laughs> greatly. Uh, I, so uh, part of the reason I think that he wrote this book is, and that makes it so interesting to me is that he has long been on the record the, thinking that generation ships won't work, interstellar travel is very difficult, uh, and that we should probably just stay on Earth because it seems like a giant waste of effort to send humans off. To planets where God knows what will happen, and that we 're doomed to fail uh, and that 's what this book is all about right it 's yep. an interesting story mm-hmm. in which or, or not so interesting, depending on your your, uh, your, your opinion, uh, in which <laughs> this, this great uh, pinnacle of human achievement utterly and completely fails uh, and comes back to a world that basically rejects their failure because they uh, are like, Why the hell did you come all the way back when we sent you out three hundred years <laughs> yeah. Good uh, question. Which, Exactly. And I know, Jason, that's one of your biggest problems Mm -hmm. with the book is that you think they could have tried something else. Yep. Um, But I feel like that speaks to human nature uh, and that you kind of you freak out. Uh, When you seem to have this insurmountable problem and the solution, which is also nearly insurmountable, but you know is solvable because you did in fact travel that far already, is to go back where you came from, where you know there's a safe place for you to go, even though the journey will be very difficult. Uh, And that's kind of Freya trying to be like her mother, who was able to get them, you know, her whole point was to get them the last leg of the trip to their home, uh, which of course tries to kill them all uh, and does kill some of them. Uh, And so she, as the not a reincarnation, but trying to finish her mother's mission in getting the rest of them back to an actual home that will support them. Uh, And then when they get there, obviously, it's not so great. Uh, And then I also think it's interesting, this whole AI thing is very interesting about learning how to do metaphors. Uh, I also think it's he plays with the generation ship trope about, you know, people live on it for so long. So they forget about things like there are microphones and cameras everywhere. So the ship knows everything that they're doing, even though they don't think that it does. And so there are people who are like sneaking around seemingly trying to hide from the ship. but The ship is watching them the entire time uh, and it doesn't really care about what, it's do- what they're doing. Uh, so I just found it very interesting. Uh, I, can, I do understand if you're looking for deep characterization and uh, relationships, uh, this is not the book for you. <laughs>
1: I enjoyed those parts, too. I just kind of wanted more of those and less of the pages and pages and pages of monologue. Like I I don't know. A computer monologue. A (laughs) computer monologue. Yeah. Like, it was all those things, Scott, were all really, really interesting. And then there are pages and pages of stuff that could have been condensed into three sentences and I would have been just as happy.
2: But that's not the, the the point. Uh, I think that what he's trying to do, whether it's successful or not, right, is show you that this computer is generating at least part of this story. And right. this is – so it's not enjoyable to read uh, parts of stories that are written by the computer, especially as it's trying to learn how to tell a story. Right. Uh, now, that is, of course – when you write it down on a piece of paper, you think, well, maybe – uh, you shouldn't write a book in which large portions of it are unreadable. Exactly. Much like in 2312, maybe you shouldn't write a book where the main character is absolutely reprehensible. Huh. But uh, both of those books work for me. So what do I know?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that it's it's it was it was well written the the stuff that was there um, and the ideas were cool like that was that was the thing that you know if somebody had just told me about this book I think I would have been like yeah that sounds awesome um, but it was it was the pages and pages like like Aline said and the fact that even when it wasn't the pages of sciencey stuff even when they were talking about the people and what was happening it really felt like I felt like reading a history textbook mm-hmm. and I've it was like it would flip back and forth between reading a history textbook and a science textbook and oh. I, and a mathematical <laughs> textbook, actually. And I never really liked any of those things. So that was that was where it fell down for me. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break for me
0: to tell you about one of our sponsors. It is IT Pro TV. If you've got a career plan you want to set in motion, maybe you're looking to start a career in information technology, or maybe you're already working in the field, but certificates and credentials are a key point in getting a job or a promotion and it pro tv's mission is education through engagement they've got up-to-date high quality video content and access to the most important tools you will need to get your technology certification they got more than a thousand hours of content and they're adding 50 hours every single week courses are streamed live and on demand worldwide to chromecast roku pc ios android and now the amazon fire tv and the fourth generation Apple TV, so you can learn on the go or sitting on your couch watching on TV. However, you want it, you can get the information you seek on IT Pro TV course topics these are uh, great course topics uh, if you want to upgrade your apple related skills there's mac integration basics there's an apple certified support professional course apple certified technical coordinator amazon web services microsoft technology certification google apps for work administrator virtualization cryptography a whole lot more all the courses are transcribed so you can watch, watch from start to finish or jump to just the part that you're looking for and there's one low monthly subscription price and a no hassle cancellation policy if you're studying with a book or enrolled in a certification or technical degree program, this is a great supplement so you can learn at your own pace and track your progress. And it's much cheaper than going to a boot camp. If you're a working IT professional, this is the ongoing resource you need to keep your skills current. There's corporate and group pricing also available. Clients of IT Pro TV include Harvard, MIT, UCSD, Stanford, and more. So check out itpro.tv slash Snell to upgrade your brain with the most popular IT certifications. Now, normally premium subscriptions yeah. <laughs> are about $57 a month or $570 a year. But there is a special offer. You can try it for free for seven days when you sign up using code SNEL to check out the courses, the live stream and a whole lot more. You'll also get 30% off for the lifetime of your account at ITProTV. So then you'll spend less than $40 a month or $399 for an entire year. And mark your calendar. The CCNP security courses will stream live for the very first time beginning on March 21st. ITPro.TV slash Snell. Use code SNEL. Try it for free for 7 days and save 30% off for the lifetime of your account. Thank you to IT Pro TV for sponsoring the incomparable
4: this is the definition of a picaresque story. And, uh, you know, this is something I remember back in high school when someone and I was like, well, what, what is picaresque? Why do people talk about this as opposed to narrative? And a picaresque is when, you know, a thing happens, thing happens, thing happens, thing happens, and the end. And it's a, you know, huge critique, a, a criticism of a novel when it's picaresque because it means there's no arc, there's no development, there's no, you know, multiple storylines that converge or whatever. And I feel like at some level – this has so many different narrative ideas going on that it, but it winds up being picturesque, and that it's like they go out, they go to a planet, things happen on the planet, they decide it doesn't work, they come back, and there a journey occurs. But does any development occur? Do we see any advancement in the characters? Do we learn something? Ostensibly, we're supposed to come away with it, going like, "Wow, generation ships are bad, and most of the universe is either totally dead in a way we can't do anything with, or it's already full of life that we can't do anything with." So stay at home, folks, and fix the Earth. You know, yeah. and that's uh. It's a kind of heavy-handed um, you know message uh, but I, I just feel like it didn't it wasn't a drift it's just it was I mean within the story we have picaresque because she's going from place to place to place with no ostensible reason. So right. we have a picaresque within a picaresque as well.
0: Uh, you know I I uh, we said before I think this is a better book than his last book. I think one of the reasons is that the main the main character Freya is um, a is not as unlikable as the main characters in twenty three twelve. But um I don't actually like her. I have a lot of problems with her. Yeah. I, I think mm-hmm. I think one of the fascinating I think this book is fascinating. I, I enjoyed reading it. It frustrated me at every turn and yet it was it was more like me saying You know, to the to the author, basically, you know, why did you make this decision? Did you know you were making this decision? Are you doing this to mess with me? Is that what you're doing? Because let's let's tick them off. Um, The most interesting character in this book is Freya's mother who dies. And the entire rest of the book really is sort of Freya failing to live up to her mother. Yeah. That's an interesting creative decision, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there's a civil war at one point because people are arguing when they go to, the, to Tau Ceti, they find that, that there's this first planet. It's brutal. There's wind. I, I really liked that. I like his, his dis, almost despondency about, you know, he's, he's basically arguing there aren't habitable planets out there, especially not in a small sample size near our solar system. You're not going to find habitable planets you're going to think they're in a habitable zone and you're going to go there and you're going to find that there are reasons why you can't live there. So there's the windy planet. It's cold, it's windy. And then it turns out there are basically prions there that kill everybody. It's not life per se, but it's a thing that is contaminated. It's a different biosystem. It kills them. And then the other alternative is something that's basically like Mars. It's cold and miserable. And some people want to go there and they send them there and we never hear from them again. And the assumption is that they just all died. Um, so, they had the civil war about what to do, whether it's to colonize, uh, the, the Mars like place or go on to another star system that's further off or turn around and go back to Earth. And, and the, one of the problems I had, and again, I don't think this was intentional on the, on the writer's part, is I sided with the people who our main characters opposed. <laughs> The entire time I thought the main characters um, were completely wrong and that their arguments were stupid. And that was a problem because basically at that point, it's me <laughs> against it's me against the book because my <laughs> and and again, it's smart. And it's interesting in the sense that he's basically saying, um, what if the people you send the descendants of the people you send out on a generation ship um, don't want to be there? That's essentially what this this book is, is they don't want to be there. They didn't sign up for this. And they just want to go back to Earth. And my thought was, yeah, but guys, you know, there's lots of people on Earth. You're, you're already out among the stars. Just keep going. Maybe you'll find something. And, and, and there's, a, there's a passage that I thought was really interesting where they say, yeah, they sent out a bunch of these generation ships. For all we know, everybody on all of them died. And if you're sitting back on Earth, your thought is, well, you know, we tried. But if you're on one of those ships, you're like, I don't want to die. I wanna, I wanna live. I wanna find a place to live. So, this is what you get, is, um, is is this response? It just it bugged me because I don't agree with it. I felt like they should have either tried to. They're all that way. They should either keep going or they should try their hand at something. But to just come back to Earth, it feels it felt like such a letdown. And then the part where where it really bothered me was that when they like then they watch some TV and discover that there's suspension technology has been invented, which is just a cheat to get the characters we've been following back to Earth themselves instead of it being their descendants. And that that felt like a like just a, a ripoff.
4: Let me let me hit that's the point too. There's that. Dis- decision point comes almost in the middle, middle of the book, almost exactly halfway through. Yes, the U-turn. Yeah, and I'm reading the book, and I'll tell you, like, you start with the book, and it's got one uh, narrative agent, right? It's got uh, – you're sort of, a, sort of a super observer, and it's focused on Devi and uh, uh, Badim and uh, Freya, and so you sort of um, know what's going on there, right? And uh, and then it sort of shifts where you see the ship takes over the narration because Devi's going to die, and it's, you know, telegraphed to us, and the ship yeah. takes over the narration. And I tell you, like, what got me through the first half of this book – was I had this anticipation. I felt he built a really good anticipation that something was going to happen. They were going to arrive at the planet. Something had happened. So... It's building and building building. The narrative changes, and that's kind of interesting. I like seeing the AI sort of boot up its ability to tell a story and fail and retry, and Devi dies. You know, Moses never sees the promised land and so forth. It's all great, and it builds and builds and builds. And then here's the part that I just – I'm going to say I adored. The pivot point in the book, and I'm looking on the Kindle. It's exactly 48 percent, right? It's almost right halfway about. It says, you know – the ship is making this whole statement about all the civil war that's happening, what everyone is now. I, like,
0: I liked that. I liked that at some point in the civil war, the, the AI basically says, all right, everybody go to neutral corners. I'm in charge now. I'm not going to let you hurt it's yourselves. A, yeah. <laughs> ships decided
4: to intervene, which is to say ipso facto, we intervened. And it shifts from a third person to a second person or first person plural. Yeah. At that moment, I went, ah, we've hit it. He's brilliantly build up all this tension, and now we're in the story. The first 50% was to what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I didn't feel it paid off. That's no. That was my disappointment. Yeah.
3: Actually, yeah, it was kind of like we the, we got the climax in the middle of the book, and then it was falling action from there on in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think... Part part of it is my disappointment because not knowing what to expect from this book. You know, I am a sucker for stories where people are far away and under pressure and are trying to find a way to live on. You know, to explore and to live on a new world. And so when they went down to the windy planet, and I thought, oh well, this could be bad. But you know, is this the rest of the book? And it turns out, no. Everybody dies except for one. And, <laughs> it, and it's and it's sad and all that. And I, I get I get what he's trying to do. And so I you know my perception of the rest of the book was colored by that. That oh no. It's not going to be about what happens when they get there and they're all on their own and they they they're these kind of grizzled, you know, people from this breaking down technology on the spaceship and that now they have to find and make their way on a planet again and they've never lived on a planet before, um. And I thought, well, that might be an interesting book, but that's not this book. That this book goes back up and you know, I I really liked the 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 AI being the sheriff and saying, "Look, I'm not in charge, but I'm not going to let you hurt each other. You're going to have to behave," and and that was good in the end though basically you know they turn around they leave the people behind on the on the Mars analog they turn around and they they invent technology that they've received via radio basically by a laser from earth that lets them live in suspended animation and go all the way back without having to you know generate new characters which you know, I, I, I felt was, like
3: that was a little bit of a cheat. Oh, because oh, uh, it was a, a lot of bit. a cheat. It was a huge <laughs> it was cheat. It terrible. Okay. All right. Giant cheat. Just because, yeah, we had we had gotten to, I'm not going to say like these characters, but we had gotten to know these characters. And I mean, I guess if he wouldn't have pulled this cheat and they would have just been other people barely scraping by to survive until they get back to Earth, uh, it would have been even worse because then I would have had absolutely nobody to look at the story through. So, I don't know, six and one, half dozen of the other.
4: There are generationship books that do that, that pull off or, you know, or multi-generation books that go over through empires or travels or whatever. And there, there are ways to do it. And I kind of thought he was going to hand it off. I thought there was going to be a pivot point and they'd spend, you know, a generation in orbit, things would happen. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going to happen at that point. Uh, it didn't seem to me like they'd go back because that seemed ridiculous. Uh, so that shows what I know. But I, I did think there are ways where you can – have, um, you know, sort of a beautiful continuity as opposed to saying, okay, and now suspended animation. Um, I did like, there was a great analogy that comes at some point where, uh, um, I forget which character it is, talks about it being um, child abuse, that actually multi-generation ships are are like, it's like, uh, uh, you know, it's um, what, kidnapping and uh, stealing from your, he used a word, it was klepto- something was stealing from mm-hmm. future generations and child abuse. And they're like, that's all rather harsh. I'm like, no, it is because you send people off who have stolen all their children's futures and made the decisions to do that before they leave. And I'm like, that is actually a very powerful argument against multi-generation ships that people can't consent before they're born to being born like that. But I think part of his argument is too, we're all born like that. We're all born without consent. Right. We're born and you know never asked.
2: And the suspension part thing didn't, I didn't think of it as a cheat only because I have, I think of it as piling on to the failure of the generation ship because if they had just waited 300 years, their exploration would have been much easier because they could have been in the suspension <laughs> pods to get through yeah, there and then come back. And this, I have been for a long time thinking about, and I'm sure someone already wrote this short story, but a short story in which a giant generation ship takes forever to get to a planet and they go around the planet and they get a mysterious uh, transmission from the planet, which is humans who beat them there because of advances <laughs> in technology and they just got there faster than the generation ship. I've that their the yeah. entire... I'm sure it's been written already. So their
0: entire uh, mission is is a fraud, basically, right? You're not know, going to uh, believe this, Scott, that Micronauts issue number one has that same plot. In <laughs> <it>. <laughs> well, see, there you go. I didn't think <laughs> I had come up with it. But.
4: There's a short story in which a generation ship is, uh, everyone is in cryogenic uh, storage. They're traveling. The captain has to wake up from time to time, and someone shoots at them with faster than light weapons, which Earth didn't ex- believe existed, and the captain cleverly beats them off and then says, okay, we're turning back because we're going at sublight speeds. Apparently, someone else has developed FT so we're going to go back and fix it then go back out
1: wanted to talk about freya just a little bit yeah, because i had and, and i think it was maybe that um the ai learning how to tell a story piece i don't know but like in the beginning of the book we're introduced to freya and it's like oh this is a really cute six-year-old and it turns out that she's like not six. Oh, and yeah. I felt like that was really sprung on me because oh. all of a sudden it's like, oh, she's 14. I didn't realize um, that until
4: you just said that. the, the age, I knew what her age was when she was 14, but I forgot that they left us forward. I mean, that the, I, sorry, I didn't get that until just now.
3: Yeah, I think, there were, I, I think there were clues pretty early, because I, I almost yeah. don't remember a time where I didn't recognize that she was a, you know, a sort of a, a young person in an older person's body. Well, they were talking about how much
1: bigger she was than everybody. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, you know, I, I've worked with some big kids. I used to work in preschools, so I've worked with some, some three-year-olds who could be mistaken for like six-year-olds. This is a thing that I have experience with. And I'm sure that colored that, but... Um, I, I thought it was kind of like a weird thing where it's like six, and then, okay, maybe she's like 12, and then we went forward a little bit, and she's 14, and so she's like, what, an eight-year-old who in a 14-year-old's body who they send off to wander around the ship, and I I mean, that was all really odd to me, and then uh-huh. she jumps from being like this, this very childlike, teenager to being a leader of the ship like like the ai is like yeah she's she's respected and a leader and blah 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 but it's never shown we're told that she is
0: her behavior doesn't seem doesn't indicate that she would be because she has these like temper tantrums all the time right i mean during the civil war she has a she has there's there's a scene where there's like this it's like oh well we've got a problem what is it and she basically just screams and i thought Really? Yeah. This is, this, char- this is the character that you've got. All right. You know, again, I think he maybe delights in having a character that is not yeah. particularly likable. But she, you know, <laughs> I, 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 and again, fascinating to have that moment of like, as a reader, judging the main character and saying, boy, you're not as good as your mom was, right? But that was me. I was doing that the whole time. I
3: was. It was. It's like, it's not what you it's not what you know or what you can do. It's not even who you know. It's who you're related to. That's the only thing mm-hmm. she has going for her.
4: Then there's the jokey character that they introduce who's a mathematical genius and kind of an oddball. I'm like, oh, this character is going to be very important to the development of the plot. Oh, not, well, maybe later with the orbital mechanics, sort of, but they don't... And I, you know, there's a. I thought they were going to do this thing. Uh, there's a famous sci-fi story. I don't remember who wrote it. It was decades ago. I was, it was probably written before I was born. But in which uh, Earth sends out uh, these astronauts again at like faster than light or, or a sublight speed to Alpha Centauri to you know, do some probe, and they're going off. And the farther they get away from Earth, the sort of scarier they become. They become more and more intelligent, and that was apparently the hidden goal. And they wind up, like, sending a beam back to Earth and disrupt society and come back like gods. It's this really fascinating story. But part of the arc is the further away they go, they, they just start doing all this advanced math. They send back girdle numbers. They're doing all this nonsense. I thought, oh, we're going to have – a little not magical realism, but it's going to be ah okay maybe it's an, a hum, an homage to that or Jokey is going to be part of a generation and this whole idea that the ship everyone's getting sort of stupider because they have bad nutrition over time they mess something up Uh, and so Freya is you know somehow developmentally disabled maybe or not really because she's not not smart she just can't do math and it's confusing and you know Jokey is kind of a a savant and anyway so it goes kind of back and forth and. And then his his importance is never realized, and we're never really deal with the impact of that whole thing that like the they're all bromide lacking or something. The kids' brains don't have enough bromide in it, and you're like, this is an interesting exploration, but it doesn't play out in the characters. That the characters are less sophisticated. We're not really seeing that so much. We're seeing a repeat of previous uh, fights on the ship. So that's I find that confusing yeah. too.
0: Well. It was better than the last one. <laughs> how do
4: people feel about the fact that the ship didn't make it? I actually – I had a little bit of that uh, of uh, – I don't know because I spoil – I don't want to spoil Monument Valley but there's a moment in Monument Valley where you sort of – there's a pain related to an in, a seemingly inanimate object that has life. And I I thought, well, yeah, it has to make it. That's how these novels work and, it's like, and it doesn't. And then you have what I felt like was sort of a – it was a desultory story after that. So I wasn't sure – You know they're on Earth, and it's sort of the end of the story, and it's not played out in a very odd fashion. Well, they're they're terraforming Earth at the end, right? So that's
3: right. Yeah,
4: that's true. That's true.
3: I did feel for the ship, but whereas in in most books and and properties like this, I feel for the ship in part for myself and in part for the characters that are also feeling for the ship. In this case, I didn't care what the characters thought at all about the ship, (laughs) though. Though I did feel bad myself, that was the one moment of real emotion I think that I that I truly felt at any point. Uh, just because you know, here's this the ship who is basically a character, possibly the character who has has done all of this stuff to make it possible, and you know, it's a really selfless thing that that she it has done in order to make life possible for all of these all these little creatures. So I was I was. I was sad for myself, and I was also a little bit annoyed just on behalf of the fact that I had read through all of this. And not only did they not, you know, get to colonize something someplace else, but this this ship didn't even get to make it all the way through, and I didn't get to see any kind of a happy ending that I cared about, I was really hoping that the ship would just go into orbit and then, right. you know, maybe mm-hmm. the people would, would just go and live on the ship, but be able to be replenished from stocks from earth. Y- you don't think surfing time time. is ha- a happy ending? No, no, I do not.
4: <laughs> Body surfing. It was also very much the end of, um, of, uh, green Mars, I think, isn't it? Or blue Mars. What's the third book in the series? Uh, s- some people are on Mars and Mars is very earth-like now and they're on a beach. And there's even the bit in that trilogy in which, uh, Martians go back to earth and they sort of deal with returning to Earth and people have existential life failure in which they just stop living for no reason that's sort of in this book too so I feel like he took some ideas and and it wasn't part of the same universe uh, it's clearly not really the same universe as the uh, the Mars trilogy um, I don't know it's uh, I I'm glad I read it Scott I'm glad I read it
3: I'm glad you that. read it too, Glenn. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I redeemed. I mean, I needed a little redemption from twenty three twelve, and I just I love his work so much, and he's making it so hard for me to love his work.
2: <laughs> I, I still
4: liked
0: it, so.
3: <laughs> I'm also glad you read it, Scott. Well,
0: yeah. I I'm sorry that you read it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I'm I'm kind of with Glenn, where I appreciated things about it and was frustrated by it, but it did not it did not leave me in the same unpleasant place that his previous novel left me, where I. I had to be talked into reading another book by this writer, whose other books I've liked. Yeah. There is one thing I want to
4: quote from the book because it made me laugh so hard. Uh, It was this perfect thing about how when they're back on Earth and they get invited to this colloquium and they're flown to America and it's like all these people are standing around talking about how great, well, you know, you guys didn't work hard enough and we'll do it again. We learned a lot from this. And there's this bit about um, they were all men, all Caucasian, most bearded all wearing jackets. It was so
3: perfect. Yes, that was the moment I just wanted to throw the book across the room. I was like, really, in all that time, there's, there's nothing for me to look forward to. You know, okay, I, I can understand. I, I don't have space travel to look forward to. We're not going to colonize Tau Ceti. But now my, oh my <laughs> women God. are just still in the uh, same crap place they are nice. now. Thank but then she King punches them out. Thanks.
4: She smacks them in the face.
3: There's just
0: bearded men.
4: But she hits them. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, you know, Aurora, there it is. Don't you want to read it now? You should read it. I, I think, I think, there, yeah, I, I think um, the, I liked this, Erica will know this because I'm on those depressing episodes of uh, the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, <laughs> um, that I, I think... I appreciate when a writer tries to tell a story that is is – they're going to be tough with us. And this is Kim Stanley Robinson saying, oh, you think generation sips are a good idea. <laughs> well, they're not. <laughs> and there aren't other planets for us out there. And just give up and turn Jerk. around and come home. And that, that's what this is. This is him having that kind of vision of like it's a bad idea. And look, let me show you how bad an idea it is.
4: I've read <laughs> some nonfiction stuff, some like interviews and things with him. And he's become kind of – well, I shouldn't say become come. He's kind of a grumpy old crank. He's not of a, uh, the, uh, you, you old, you young whippersnapper variety yet, but I, I don't know how far off he is.
3: You know, I will own that, uh, that at least a chunk of my problem with this book was based on my own expectation. I thought it was going to be something else. I didn't I yeah. didn't see where it was going until far too late that it was going to that dark place and saying, <laughs> you, you and saying turn tough, around. <laughs> tough beans. Exactly. Exactly. So had I gone in kind of knowing more about what the story was, I probably would have enjoyed the experience of it a little mm. more, but as it is, I did not.
2: And this is I don't think this is a good book. If you're looking for a book to uh, tell you a happy story that Mm -hmm. you can escape into and the, you know, the power of man uh, or humanity, I should say, uh,
0: overcoming challenges and a triumphant ending, uh, skip this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let me take a break to tell you about one of our sponsors. It's The Walking Dead Collectors models, officially authorized by AMC and now available directly from Eagle Moss Collections. It's the ultimate The Walking Dead figurine collection created for ultimate fans of the show. It's an extensive collection featuring the most popular characters from across all the seasons of The Walking Dead. As seen on AMC, every character is depicted in a classic pose, stands on a base, and has been faithfully reproduced in 1 to 21 scale. That's about three and three quarters inches tall. I have a bunch of them in front of me right now. I've got Tyrese here. They sent these to me. I've got the governor who looks super menacing as usual. Michonne, you know, she's got that sword. It's pretty awesome. Glenn is here. Does Glenn have a baseball cap on though? I think he's not wearing a baseball cap. What's wrong, Glenn? Come on, find that hat. Uh, Daryl Dixon I've got here. Uh, Daryl's got his, uh, his gun. I got Merle with his crazy thing on his arm. And of course... Rick Grimes, and you can start your collection today with Rick Grimes for only $4.95 with free shipping. All these models are cast in a specially formulated metallic resin and they're painted by hand following the original references from the AMC archives. Everyone comes with a detailed booklet spotlighting that character, and new models are released monthly and delivered directly to your door, so I guess I've got seven months worth right on my desk right now. It's pretty awesome. I can make little dioramas of them. I can keep them in the box if I want to be cruel, or I can get them out and play Walking Dead with them. You can cancel your subscription at any time, so there's no risk to you. For details on this whole collection and to order yours, go to twdcollection.com slash snell that's rick grimes for 4.95 with free shipping it looks great check it out twdcollection.com slash snell and thanks to eagle moss for sponsoring the incomparable all right we're gonna move on alphabetically to luna colon (laughs) new moon by ian Uh, mcdonald it's a book it is a book a different book also set in space it's Uh, on the moon as you might have gotten from the title which contains the words luna and moon (laughs) <laughs>
2: just in case you don't
1: know it is the moon that we know it is not a new new moon it is so the it that, is <laughs> yes it it's is the old not new moon a, yeah, yeah it, it yeah. is it is our moon but it's got uh
0: it's got uh, cities dug into the uh into the ground and in in the sides of craters and things like that It's and what the
3: tricked out moon and and th- <laughs> so this book
0: the idea the idea here is that it's um it's uh uh, it was sold to me as sort of being like a Game of Thrones in, in the at on the moon, where there are powerful families vying for control of various things on the moon. Um, it, it is uh, that is what it is. It is politics and drama amidst the five. Uh, key families and the other people who live on the moon. There are miners, and there are you know uh, transportation uh, experts, and there are industrialists and things like that. And uh, and then the core the core of the book is that uh, we we see the Corta family, um, and uh, Adriana Adriana Corta is the founder of this family, and she is she's dying. Um, she uh, sort of is a self made woman, she came to the moon with nothing and created this sort of dynasty around her, but she has to vie with the problematic members of the other families. And uh there are many different family members. They all have interesting quirks about their personalities. Uh and they intermarry because it's it, that is a Game of Thrones like element where there are the sort of marriages and contracts that are done based on creating these um kind of connections between the the families. And uh yeah, and it's on the moon so that makes it science fiction because there's um, the it's on the moon
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah this one um it took me a while to get into this book i i tend to as you may have guessed based on what i said about aurora i prefer a story that's more of a story that has a you know a beginning a middle and an end sort of a tale uh because as i said history books have always bored me and this did read a little bit like a history book um Eventually, though, I really got wrapped up in the world. I felt like it was pretty elegant. The characters and their family politics were enough to draw me in and keep me wanting to come back to read it. I could I could very easily put it down. uh, And it did take me a while to read the whole thing. But I didn't dread going back to it. See Aurora. So uh, without any spoilers, that is what I have to say about this book. (laughs) That, Until the end,
0: put that on the cover. Mm-hmm. I didn't dread going back to it. <laughs> Guaranteed, dread free. Uh, Until the end, Scott. Do you have a Do you have a summation of your feelings about this uh, this book? This Ian McDonald, I know, is one of your uh, more uh, favorite writers. Is he not?
2: He is, in fact. And I feel like he has been casting around for a way to make it big in Mm -hmm. uh the uh, literary world he tried Uh, he tried some young adult novels for a while which i read i hate young adult novels but i read his uh and i kind of like them uh but one of the things that draws me in from ian mcdonald is that he writes complicated multi-layered stories um and i felt like this one was not as complicated as i was hoping it would be uh but i understood what he was going for he is uh i think jason you said it already this is game of he has described it himself as game of domes Mm. or uh dallas on the moon uh (laughs) so uh and i think he he lives up to both of those things that he's already sold the television rights so clearly he's he's done his work here yes and there's Um, a sequel on the way there is a sequel no really it's just gonna be a two book uh, series, I believe, uh, until okay. uh, he decides uh-huh. that if the second
0: book sells a lot more, I'm sure there'll be a third book. <laughs> yes, Luna Wolf Moon coming in September. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh, God. I know. Wolf <laughs> no. Moon, because the wolves, they're the wolves on the moon anyway. We're, we're wolves they're are earth wolves on the moon. They howl at the full <laughs> earth. <laughs> Thank you.
2: So, uh, and I feel like he's written many novels, uh, and he's, some of my favorite novels of his have been uh, The Dervish House. Dervish House, and- great, great book. And I've, the Melified uh, Man, river- Glenn. The mellified Man. Mellified, I love that. Mellified. I remember I, that. Yes. That. And uh, what is it? The River of Gods or something Yep, like that? River of um, Gods. Those two books, I think, are uh, the pinnacle of his craft. I think he's a fantastic writer. I think that uh, he wrote this fantastically. Um, I feel like it could have – been more complicated uh what but that's that's just me uh i like
4: complicated books glad uh <laughs> no i meant the more <laughs> complicated part exactly it wasn't complicated yeah. enough for me Could've,
3: i would have been okay how, with that.
4: how could it have been more complicated
2: oh i'm sure he could do it if you read river of gods uh, okay. you will understand that he can make it even more complicated uh you throw in a couple more genders uh, and you, you you could you could make it uh more complicated uh, that being said, I really enjoyed it. I read it very quickly. Um, I want to read the second one uh, right now. So,
3: Are we doing another spoiler horn for this? Because oh, I have yeah. things oh. to say about the end. Okay,
0: let's fire <laughs> off the spoiler horn, the moon horn for <laughs> Luna colon New Moon. Spoiler
4: colon new horn. New spoiler colons. <laughs> Don't spoil your colon, Scott. Go
3: ahead Go ahead and finish your, your thoughts, Scott, yes. about the... Uh, the beginning and the end. He opens it with this, this
2: uh, you know, kind of punk kid doing this uh, moon run thing they do, which seems insane where they run without any protection across the surface of the moon. And, you know, part of the thing is it's a thrill and you might die. Uh, and it ends with uh, a character... Who was scared of doing that? Kind of doing that to save his own life, and I thought yeah. that was a very nice balance. So yeah, I really, I really did like that. I like the book ending of those two scenes. I thought it was very effective. I really liked the beginning scene and then the callback. And you know, he he spent so much time talking about how you know his father, the father of the character at the beginning, kind of derides the whole thing and. Doesn't he seems to think his son is living, leading a frivolous life, and is kind of scared of doing this thing that his son did. And there's a, like that little uh, undercurrent of jealousy. And then at the end, he has to do the same thing, and you know, goes off to his whatever secret Russian
0: uh, space orbiting station space or station, it is. station. Yeah,
3: space <laughs> I'm glad you pointed that out because I didn't even pick up on that. I was just so. Angry. (laughs) Wow.
2: Fair enough. That's another reaction that that I missed.
3: Everything. I did have that
0: moment where I got to that that point, the last chapter, basically, and I thought to myself, "Oh, so this um is going to be more than one book." Then (laughs) And that was the moment where it's like, "I guess there's a lot. I guess." And it makes sense actually that it's two because that's sort of what it felt like. Is I guess this is the fall of the Corta family, and that the next book will be the revenge of the Corta family. Jr. has been shot in in Moon (laughs) Dallas. But (laughs) he will be back.
3: You know, I didn't realize that he had create he had uh, said that thing about Dallas uh, because, and which is interesting because I did feel like that's what it was. I mean, the end made me so mad because it didn't feel like it sort of fit with that so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like this the book was like this lovely story being played out like like a ribbon flowing gently in the lunar breeze. You know, bit by bit, I'm learning things. I'm, I'm watching characters do stuff that I'm interested in. Uh, it didn't feel to me like it was working up to anything much, and that was okay. Mm -hmm. I was. It took me a little while, but I was finally in this world. I was content to just Mm -hmm. exist in it and see who did what and when. And I really was approaching it like a soap opera. You've got this huge cast of characters spanning several generations. They each have their own storyline. They all overlap a little bit from time to time, but not in a particularly episodic way. And I was totally fine with that. And like a soap opera, I would have been fine with continuing to read about that in perpetuity. Instead, in a brief (laughs) few dozen pages at the end, everything falls apart the characters that i had spent all this time getting to know many of them died painful bloody horrible deaths Mm -hmm. and the ones that survived just barely did so and have nothing but pain ahead of them for at least a while i hated it so much (laughs) i felt completely cheated um and you know maybe it was supposed to be some sort of metaphor for how uncaring and harsh the moon herself Uh. is but i just didn't care it was as if they had ended as the world turns by bombing oakdale no thank you
1: (laughs) (laughs) i um I felt like I didn't know that there was going to be a sequel. It was basically like, do you want to do a book club episode? And I was like, sure. What do you want me to read? And he's like, this is what you're going to read. And I was like, okay. And I started reading. And I felt like the whole book was one long exposition. And I was like, is this building to anything? It was just like, just kind of, just kind of going along. And yeah, there are things that happen and they're kind of little bumps, but they're all like seemed to be fairly little bumps. And then, and then again, yeah, the climax all at the end. And then it comes crashing and then we're kind of left up there and there's not really any resolution. And so then I started reading about it and was like, oh, this is, there's going to be a sequel. And I was like, right. So I basically read the first chapter of the next book Uh over the course of, you know, however long it took me to read Mm it. It was like the end was sweeps week. If we go back to the soap opera thing, (laughs) right? Well, you got to leave them wanting more.
3: Yeah, I don't think it worked that way. I think I was so upset about that just coming out of nowhere that I'm not (laughs) sure I honestly want to read the second book. Uh,
2: I had a a premonition that things were not going to end well when I started reading this book. Of course, I've read his other books, so uh, that might help me.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I came into these books not ever having read anything by these authors, not really knowing anything about them, and not knowing anything, not knowing thing one about either one of these books. So I was going in completely cold. Glenn, what do you think about Luna?
4: Uh, I felt like it had a draft quality to it and, uh, not that the work wasn't finished. And I think I, I agree that he's a, he's a rich characterization artist. Like he, he, takes, uh, and not like really uses, he's not spare, he doesn't use like three words to describe something right, I'm not saying that, but he actually built lots of pictures in my head of very rich and interesting characters, many of whom had uh, you know, semi-believable interior life, and when I got into the soap opera e feel of it, I was like, okay, this is all you need, you don't need 3D, you need a 2.5D thing, if you're trying to create these kind of mechanisms and, and uh, you know, I loved Dune, only the first book, not the others and Dune is very much a um, space opera e, and I think there are things in common uh, you know, one trouble I think he has is when you read a book about people trying to carve out, especially independence on the moon, which is uh, one of the many subplots, Uh you're always going to compare it with Moon is a Harsh Mistress. If you've read that book, it resonates. And I feel like this book uh, didn't borrow from it, but I feel like there are too many parallels to it for me to ignore how much better – aspects were done. I mean, it's one thing when it's totally different or it recognizes some of, you know, the the source mythology that a lot of people have who are sci-fi fans from way back or uncovered it later. uh, So so that was an issue for me. But I also feel like I'm going along and I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get a feel of this world and now there are werewolves. I mean, it was little, you know, there's a little (laughs) foreshadowing, Like, okay, there's werewolves. But werewolves are exactly like this, except when they're not. And they're super smart, but then they make stupid choices. And then there's phases of the moon or the earth, but we're not going to explain why. Now there's 30 of them. Now, and now they make, you know, you're like, oh, okay. Or um, somewhere late in the book is the McKenzie's repay everything three times. And you're like, all right, shouldn't you have worked that theme in much earlier? And uh, the, the whole weird subplot about um, Adria uh, being, uh, or Andrea, be, what's her name? Um, Adriana? Adriana? Uh, no, Adriana, but the daughter. Uh, is it Adria? Ariel? Ariel. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm thinking of uh, Ariel. uh being, uh, you know, an autoerotic erotic uh, self manipulator there. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm not making any judgment, but I'm going to say that scene is the least. Erotic description of autoerotic behavior that I think I've ever read. It's so it's almost clinical. Maybe yeah. we're supposed to feel disgust, but I didn't think so. The sex in the book, there's a fair amount of it, and uh or or here, like here's an element that got me. When all of a sudden Lucas says, "Jorge, will you marry me?" and I'm like, "It's a very soap opera moment." I'm like, did not see that coming. Yeah, like it, there's no motivation, explanation, oh, backstory. I, I saw
0: that. I saw that coming. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah.
4: you saw. I could see You're the the gears being ground into position to make that. Makes sense, but there was
0: no. Um, that's very. That's very soap opera, right? It it's is like, it's like he like, hires the hires the beautiful beautiful musician to play the music and falls in love with him. I mean, that was no.
4: And I agree with that, but I feel like he has just rich enough characterization that I expect more from him, and just poor enough characterization, or just <laughs> I want to say poor enough. He pulls back enough from creating fully three dimensional characters who live and breathe. I don't think he
0: does it, and I think that's intentional. I think Ariel the way I I think the way that her. Uh, sex room is portrayed is perfectly in keeping with the way she's portrayed throughout she is a um she is uh, kind of the not quite the black sheep of the family, but she's like a lawyer and she's like a control freak, and she is portrayed as being kind of this independent person. She she doesn't need anyone or anything. She's got her own agenda. She's separating as much as she can from her family as much as she can. And then when you get to the point where you're in her, you know, don't go into that room. <laughs> That's at one point, right? <laughs> That's great. That's not locked or anything. It's just you know. I don't know. It was it was it was peculiar, and yet I felt like it was in keeping with her character that she has. You know, she doesn't need anyone. She takes care of herself, and that's fine. That's you know, and that's part of the variety because we do see a a lot of variety in in sexuality with the wolves. I kind of like the wolves because the idea there is that they're a they're a you know a different kind of human community than existed before, and they use the you know the idea that they're looking up at the earth instead of the moon. I thought that was kind of poetic and weird and interesting that they had created this whole new culture of like this you know this group culture where they have the behavior when they were the wolf mode and the, this other behavior when they weren't. I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I, I liked it.
3: If they would have made it just sort of be poetic and, and made it seem like it was a choice that these people had made to to be part of the sect of society. You know, I, I enjoyed the different pronouns and stuff. That was that mm-hmm. I would have been OK with. But the fact that they made it some sort of biochemical reaction that when the, the earth is full, they they become a completely different person. And even their little AI things on their shoulders change because they're just a completely different person. And I I don't think that that was explained enough for me to really get on board with that. So now the fact that Wolf Moon is the name of the next book is another thing that makes me kind of not want to read it.
4: Yeah, I just felt there's there an enormous amount of setup that didn't pay off, and I realized that's the problem in reading the first half of two parter It turns out. But, yeah, but I also, like I say, I feel like, you know, the fact that uh, Ariel, it's not that she, it's not inconsistent that she has, that she enjoys, you know, not having a partner. I just felt all the sex in the book almost uniformly was icky, and I don't, I don't, <laughs> I've read plenty of sci fi in which the sex is not icky, and I was just like, you know, the, the, russian guys it's moon sex man it's moon sex it's totally just, different oh uh, yeah moon se- i'm not going to the moon then let me tell you that's
3: it struck me as all the sex in the book was very sort of matter of fact uh which i, I to a point i kind of appreciated. i like the fact that sex is not such a big deal here people just do it and they do it with whomever they want and yeah. and same thing with the with the genders you know you had mm-hmm. in addition to the pronouns for the wolves you had a different pronoun for somebody who i i guess chose neither gender and i i appreciated that i i I always like it when future societies don't have the same big hang-ups about stuff that we do now. That's kind of a nice future thing. But I do agree that because of that, the sex didn't feel sexy. But I feel like that was on purpose and I was all right with it. Let me take a break to tell you about one of our sponsors
0: this week. It's Harry's. Now, good things come in sets of three. I'm going to do some numerology for you. March, the third month of the year. And also... Our friends at Harry's have had three years in business bringing great shaving stuff to people like you. If you're new to Harry's, I've got a special deal for you to try three. There's that number again. Perhaps Commander Data is trying to tell us something. Uh, Star Trek reference? No? All right. Anyway, perhaps you would like to try three of these expertly crafted five-blade German razors. That's right. It's three plus two. That's how many blades there are. A handle and shave cream for 10 Bucks with the offer code SNELL my last name. Now, I've been using Harry's uh, shaving stuff for a while now. I really like it. I, I, I use the Harry's razor. Uh, those blades are excellent. I kind of laughed at the idea of a five-blade razor, but you know what? The shave is amazing. I just tried uh, the newest Harry's ha- handle and razor the other day. You know, getting one of those fresh razor blades, so good. Does such a good job. And of course, I really like the shave cream. I can't stop talking about it. It's this light minty smell. I'm very sensitive to strong smells, and it doesn't get in my face. It's on my face, but it's not in my face all day with the smell. It's pleasant when I'm shaving and then it's gone. I wash it off. It's very nice. So what makes Harry special? It's the only shaving company that's got amazing quality and low prices. They have the high-quality German-engineered. They bought the factory five-blade cartridges. Like I said, super close shave, no cuts, no burns, quality guaranteed. They'll give you a refund if you're not happy with the product. And then the prices. These are factory-direct prices. There's no middleman shipped right to your door. You don't have to go down to the drugstore and ask them to unlock something. Uh, And they sell their blades at half the price of the leading brand because of this system that they've got. Over a million people have already made the switch. Thousands more are moving every day to Harry's. I've done it, and I'm very happy about the results. So why pay $32 for an 8-pack of blades? You can get them for half the price at harrys.com. The starter set is a great deal. It's $15. You get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. And Harry's doesn't like to discount. Their prices are already pretty low, but there's a special offer if you're trying Harry's for the first time. $5 off your first order. Use promo code SNELL. Stop overpaying for a great shave go to harrys.com right now h-a-r-r-y-s.com and use code snell at checkout thank you to harrys for sponsoring the incomparable i really appreciated the way that this story explores class in that we get marina who when we meet her is basically down to nothing and she's taking she's you know she's a a talented trained person who's come to the moon to seek her fortune and she's basically destitute and can't breathe deeply because she because oxygen is regulated on the moon and you're basically charged for oxygen. They do not have Obamacare on the moon. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um and and I think seeing the start you know yes, you can set up that juxtaposition of the she ends up getting a job with the with Corta Helio and they are m- mining helium on the moon and she learns about the family and gets to know the family and all of that. But so she's our way in, but because we meet her when she is desperate and destitute, I feel like that good it colors everything else we see about this society knowing that there are very poor people at the bottom of the uh, of the ladder on, in moon society and then there are these these super rich families and um I liked I liked that I thought that was a really nice touch to have her did
3: anybody I, else get short of breath and thirsty during those first chapters with oh, her because I sure I, did
0: I thought the four elementals
4: part was very clever and I think you're right it showed you this like the scarcity and what people are actually striving for but they did give her a girlfriend in the refrigerator right Blake he's feeling ill she can't yep. provide for him and he's she gone a lucky break she comes back right every skin cell has been harvested because that's what we do on the moon i'm like girlfriend in the refrigerator you know and then blake has mentioned a couple other times i
3: don't think Mm. i don't think so that was that was not fridging because i don't think that his death actually motivated her to do anything
4: no it was just sad it was just but i was too convenient for me that it's like you know somebody dies well you know it didn't motivate her you're right it wasn't a motivation so
3: it wasn't fridging it was something
4: something equally he was sort of thrown (laughs) away and i i thought actually marina i'm gonna say i think she was my favorite character. I felt she was actually very well-developed mm-hmm. from not being in that higher strata and kind of being ill at ease and then accidentally, like, and plausibly and accidentally, you know, saving lives over and over and being in the right spot at the right time. Like, that was, to me, a very uh, great science fiction role, someone who just happens to eke out the right moment, the right place. That's such a trope, and I felt that she as a character was my was my favorite because of that.
0: See, we said Dallas, but I'm going to say the godfather and that's why i like adriana corta mm, because mm-hmm. we get her whole story of how uh, she goes from brazil to the moon and has these you know and, and founds this company with her wits and like a whole like ploy that she and her husband set up in order to get this and get around the other families who don't want to let her have it and you know she builds this thing and she's going to do a demo and they blow it up but she's secretly done a backup plan and she and she does it there instead and she gets all the money and creates. Creates her thing, and I, I, and and then she's dying. So we get this story, and it's her great rise to power. It's like The Godfather two, basically. It's her rise to power, and then we're also seeing that it's all spinning out of control, and uh, so much of of this effort and all these things she's she's created are basically destroyed in the last couple of chapters of the book. Um, And I, I really like that. I like that 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 epic kind of rise and fall of of her story and i mean a little bit like aurora um she's so impressive that it does make you feel like the next generation really isn't living up to her which i think is interesting and they are they're all interesting characters but there is that sense of like the family dynasty where you've got this exalted leader you know the the elder and um and then everybody else is trying very hard to live up to what uh you know what she wants to do and uh they can't Right, right. he
4: could have told the story. He could have told the story with those three chapters that are entirely her telling her history. That could have been the start of the book, and it would have been very dull. And God knows if he drafted it that right. way the first time around. But instead, by giving us a lot of
0: stuff and then taking us back and understanding the struggle, um, I mean it is—it's a rich. It's also her last confession, essentially, right? Because she's telling yeah. that story to the moon nun, whatever moon she nun. is, right? The moon the moon, the, the moon so, sisters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's it it's her like confession of her life story to the person who's going to you know she's telling it to who's this religious figure that she's funding their order and in return she gets to confess her sins to and tell her life story. I don't know, Scott Scott, I'm kinda of with you. I, I think Ian McDonald's a wonderful writer. I I I, I I wouldn't say this was as good as The Dervish House, but um, I did sense when I was reading it, like as a stylist. I just I think he's I think he's really great I think he's really great at the writing. It does feel a little engineered. I would say that it does feel like what if I wrote a potboiler, right? Could I could I get TV money if I wrote a potboiler? But it's I think it's a good potboiler. But it's a potboiler. It is it is. He's I feel like yeah he's slumming a little bit, but maybe that's okay. It's it's there's a cool I think there's a lot of cool stuff, a lot of interesting images. The you know the the little girl Luna who's wandering around and she's in the little secret garden and all. That's great. That. Yeah, There's I a like lot of, Luna. You know, and I, yeah. I and I like the various sexuality and and uh, some of the characters. I like that. I like the character who I, I don't know. I assume everybody noticed this, but the um the the character who runs out on his family. And uh, without his ID and um, and is like sleeping on people's couches for half the book and and creating fashion trends wherever he goes. And making
4: and baking. I just love that his thing. That was so Mm -hmm. unexpected. And I thought, well, there's there's something funny
0: here or whatever. And it's like, no, he's just a good baker. It's sort of sweet that was a really great bit like like everybody's wearing orange first he wears the orange like suit the suit liner or the or hot pig suit liner because that's what he was wearing but he keeps wearing it and then people start wearing it thinking is this a thing maybe i I need to do it and throughout the book they comment on like yeah where'd this trend come from and then later like hey remember that trend but it's (laughs) not a trend anymore i that was i thought that was kind of brilliant plus yes he bakes too so that was a really nice little strange bit in this book
4: that I, I like. did like that earth is being redeemed by the moon. Like this is actually a unique idea that the fact that they had helium three isotope that they could recover from the regolith uh, and that they were able to, um, I mean, they're all, they're mining materials. They were, but the H three was the, uh, the thing that uh, Adriana had figured out. Uh, I mean, that's fascinating. So the earth is sort of not as dying as overpopulated things are bad. When you, I don't can't think of another book in which the moon redeems uh, or the earth is redeemed by the moon. So there's there's this symbiosis, uh, even as people on the moon, they're sort of carving out not a society for its own right. And there is that aspect of being stranded again. There's the two-year period, which is, I think, very well portrayed. After that, you have too much calcium loss uh, or your bones have changed. You can't go back. So you're doomed. You're exiled on this prison ship, right? Or Or whatever you want to think of it as. And for some people, but it's always difficult. And Marina's decision before everything goes to hell—that she's like, "This is too much. I'm scared all the time. I'm going back." That's a fascinating moment as well.
3: Yeah i i hate to I hate to agree with Glenn, but (laughs) but I think she was my favorite character as well. And I think it was simply because she was our, you know, the, the character that we were able to look through her eyes in order to to get a handle on what's going on on the moon. I mean, we we saw the the court of family before she saw the court of family. So it wasn't like she's our only way in, but her reactions to everybody and their reactions to her, I think helped humanize the book a little bit for me and made these characters a little bit more a little bit more whole. It really did have that soap opera you feel. Um, I I was interested in in Adriana Corta as the matriarch of the family, uh, she reminded me a little bit of like Lucinda Walsh from As the World Turns. That was kind of how I pictured her. And, and I, I, I did notice, yes, that as soon as she was gone from the picture, that was when everything toppled and and she was clearly the glue that was holding all of this together. Uh, But that made me sad because I wanted to think that the society could survive, or at least this family could survive within that society without her. So while I was interested in her story, it was clear that she wasn't going to be around at the end of the book. So I didn't get terribly invested in her. I think Lucasino was the other character that I had the most fun with watching I didn't like him at all at first he just mm-hmm. seemed like this shallow obnoxious kid <laughs> yep. running out but well, I enjoyed was. watching him grow up the way you uh-huh. do enjoy watching characters grow up on soap operas over many years sometimes the actor changes but it's the same character who's <laughs> learning how to be a, a better or worse person and and I found that fun to to watch it play out see that was luna for me i um
1: i found all all of the adults were so boring like <laughs> they were uh, they were just boring they were I'm going to protect my dynasty and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, you're you're awful. Stop. Like, you've had no concerns in your life, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, we have these two characters. I'm going to say it's Luna because, like, she's just hopping around the garden, doing whatever she wants to do. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, she's got hidey holes. And I know a lot of them, but I don't know all of them. And Uh every girl needs to have their secrets. And I'm like, yes, I love this. And, you know, like, the adults are just like, oh, yeah, we're going to protect our money and our land. And I was like, good for you. You you go do
3: that. Yeah, I was the opposite. I was so bored by all of the lunacy, and so I was just like, I don't care. I don't care about this little kid running around. Please go back to the family politics. I want to find out what's going to happen with you know the 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 big court case or the big you know fight that's coming up or or whatever it is. I I liked the grown ups. I guess I'm an old fuddy duddy. It it was (laughs) a good
4: concept that that everything on the moon there was no criminal law. I thought that is a very clever conceit. Uh And also having just been watching the expanse in which everything in space is basically run by companies. I mean they're all corporations running these space stations and people have essentially no civil rights. All their rights are contractually based. I was like, this seems plausible because I'm yeah. watching it play out in different ways. I'm like, it's very plausible to say that there's no crime. There's only compensation and negotiation. <laughs> and the enforcement is if you break a contract, everyone goes against you. And that, that makes sense. But that's part of why my problem with the end of the end of Luna is not just that it it kind of changes nature entirely. Although, Again, I do like the fact that the matriarch dies and the foundations of her empire collapse. Like it just, her power is keeping the whole thing together and kaboom. But is that, all the contractual breaking, I'm like, I'm reading that going. But wait a minute! According to the court of, uh, you know, whatever, this is a, this isn't acceptable. Now there's going to be a
0: big fight in the next book. Um, I I wanted to mention that there's another extended. I uh, th- this is a much funnier book than the other book, right? The, this is <laughs> yeah, this is humor here. This is the, not only is, here. <laughs> is the is Lucasino's story funny. Um, And I do agree. I mean, this is a classic generational. I mean, any kind of generational novel or TV series or movie is going to have this where it's like the elders and they're disappointed in the next generation who's trying to live up to their standards. And then you've got the younger generation, which in many ways is the most interesting generation because they don't have they've been corrupted maybe by the wealth, but they also don't have that pressure that the that the second generation has. And you see that at play here. But but some of the jokes are so timed um, and, 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 and they go off, it takes time for them to play out. And when they play out, it's great. So the, th- one of the ones that I really liked is, is, um, again, Ariel is introduced and, and I thought it was this incredibly annoying writer's tick that he keeps describing her. Um, uh, also everybody's wearing fifties, I think, attire that, 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 oh, yeah. which I thought was yeah. funny, but she's like Audrey Hepburn. She's got a long thing, but it's a, like a vaping Thing, but it's like a long cigarette holder, like from Breakfast mm-hmm. at Tiffany's or something like that. And they keep describing. He keeps describing her bringing it out and extending it and all this stuff. And and back when I was editing fiction as an amateur in the in the nineties, um, I, I would see stuff like that and I'd be like, you're just you have nothing to say. So you're describing the mechanisms of things like smoking, and that's because you have nothing to say. You've run out of things to say. So I'm thinking, like, why why are you taking time describing that? And then later that um that that same retractable thing is used as a way weapon that is <laughs> rammed into somebody's what head yeah, um, and it's like, we're seeing it the whole book. It's We're seeing it, we're seeing it, we're seeing it, and then it's finally, it's like, oh! And, and that was the moment where I was like, alright, you got me. Good job, right? It's like, you put that in there, and we were all aware of it. Yes, she's got the little extendable thing, and uh, and then it's used as a murder weapon, basically, or a self-defense weapon. And uh, and I believe she then says, oh, I gotta get another one of those now. And I'm like, okay. That was, and I really appreciated that, that that he, he played that on me, and it just kind of bugged me, and I'm like, why are we seeing this? And then there was a payoff actual payoff where i was like yes that was really funny that that you used that as the as a weapon here so i don't know there's also
4: the time bomb that's planted which i thought if he trigger if it was going to be a one book novel, I don't know how it would have ended like this. The thing that the Mackenzie's, uh, that Carlos, Adriana's husband, had planted a essentially mutating virus in the heart of the Mackenzie's foundry operation in the crucible that could go, that, that she gave uh, her uh, younger, slightly younger son Lucas has the code and he could trigger it at any moment. And someone says, That's not our way. And he's like, Oh, okay. You've, everyone's been killed and died, but I'm not going to blow up the crucible. Not yet. Because I made it. and so we Because have, there's
3: going to be another book. Yeah, wow. there's going to be a
4: big book. You know, here's the thing. It's like when you see the dog in the movie, you know the dog's going to die, right? They, We know the virus is in there. They've planted it. There is no way that Crucible is not going to be blown up mm-hmm. in
0: the next book for some reason, somehow. Yeah.
1: We haven't talked about the psychic computers yet, the clairvoyant computers. Oh, yeah. Predict- oh, yeah, yeah.
0: What the wi- what? old ones, or the wise oh, ones, yes. or whatever they are, yes. which yeah,
4: which everyone seems to have tapped into. It's like, well, we programmed it for them, so we know, oh, no, we have a back door in there, and yeah,
3: so were they ever actually predicting anything, or was it all just stuff <laughs> that was planted by the mm. as a mower, whatever it is, family? I didn't quite get that at the end.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I know either. But I really like that idea that there's the secret cabal also, and there's the eagle who's in charge of the moon, and and they've got the you know they've got the secrets, and oh, Ariel's going to be very important. Which I, I expect. I expect Ariel is going to be. I mean, I, reading it, I was thinking, well, this is going to pay off, and of course, there's going to be another book in, to pay it off. But that was my thought was like when they do the prophecy, that basically it was like we see the future, and you are important in all of the possible futures. I suspect that will come to pass that she's sh- she's like hiding away um at the end of the book up up where uh Ma- marina was at the beginning of the book but she's totally going to come back
4: and- there's a bit at the end where the eagle the moon where um you know uh is it who's with her uh, ariel or someone's with him and uh and he uh he's basically like help me and it's like everyone knew his husband was control was pulling the strings it's like no, we didn't. Okay, all right. I guess that's
0: the,
3: the they twist. Did, they did. They did actually point to that earlier on, but it was only once, I believe, and only yeah. kind of in passing. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to hang too much on it.
0: There's a lot here. This is a dense. This is a dense book. There are a lot it of characters. Is. I mm-hmm. didn't. Somebody comment um, before we did this about like any book where th- there's a <laughs> list of me. characters <laughs> at the beginning, which I don't. You know, I don't read the maps. I you know those are reference when you're reading. You're like, who is this? You could look it up, and I don't. But uh, <laughs> I, occasionally I, I look at a map. But, it, it was
4: me. I was cracking up because I was like, okay, I'm opening the book and there are like seven pages of families and names and there's a map and I was like, all right, but in the end, it was like a Russian novel. Like you don't really need it. You just, no. just yeah, go back I, and refer. To
3: I it. almost, I almost didn't use it at all. But every once in a while, I would flip back just to make sure. Actually, I think I might have used the glossary a little bit more huh. just to make sure I knew the the terms. But I was, I was actually able to keep track of the characters and their names and stuff. And I mean, we keep talking about Ariel. Actually, she was one of the characters that I liked the best. I, I am always drawn to. Uh, A woman in a book who really as we said just doesn't seem to need anybody else who is Mm -hmm. is going her own way and i i enjoyed that even when i didn't particularly enjoy her attitude or you know what exactly what she was doing i still sort of liked the fact of her and the other woman that i quite liked in the book who didn't have a very big part was uh lucica asmoa who is rafa's second wife the one that rafa was actually in love with and i love the fact that they near the beginning of the book, when she's still living with the Cortas, they somewhat sideways accuse her of sending in the fly that's that's supposed to be the, uh, you know, sp- the yes. assassin fly. Yes. And and because of that, she's like, I love you and I want to be here with our daughter, but I am not trusted and I just I feel like I can't stay. So she goes away and it's this tragic thing where they actually do want to be together and they want to see each other, but she can't. and And I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting book. Um, I liked. I I definitely liked it more than Aurora. Um, yes. I mm-hmm. you know I I enjoyed reading it. I will I will read the next uh, the the continuation of it. I I I really enjoyed the world and and how it was portrayed and and the writing in it. I really enjoyed too. So, um, you know, I didn't look at the map, <laughs> but, but I I did I, you know or the glossary, but it was uh no, it was not necessary for my enjoyment.
3: I looked at the map for a second, realized it wasn't going to help me at all. And then i it's a moon map, whatever moon. It's on the moon. What do you need to know? The book will tell me how long (laughs) it takes to get from point A to point B. That's good enough for me.
4: I got to love there's one little bit of the backstory thing with uh, Marina. I love that she grew up in this totally woo woo household and and whatever. I just like that her familiar, her little uh, AI thing on her shoulder is called Hetty. It's Hetty. Looks like an orca. Yeah. Hetty the orca.
0: Yeah, that's his. That's his extrapolation of smartphones and on the moon is that they're these little avatars that live on your uh, on your shoulder, and everybody sees them sort of content consensually. But then you go to certain meetings, and you have to leave your uh, stuff behind and turn it all off.
3: I want one of those. Like, I can't wait for that future to get here. I think that would be fantastic.
0: You get a little, uh, you get a little creature that sits on your uh, Yeah, shoulder. you don't
3: have to carry anything around. And then you have this cute little creature that you can buy different skins for, and you can change it, and you can make it look like an orca or a little silver ball with wings or whatever you want. I want that.
1: I hope they're easier to keep alive than Tamaguchi ever was.
3: <laughs> Good point. <laughs> well,
0: Scott, uh, were you surprised by our reactions to these books? I am
2: never surprised by reactions (laughs) to books I recommend. I'm not
4: surprised you said that.
0: Well,
2: so I think that one truth that I hold very dearly is that uh, all opinions are subjective. So I think these books are very good. I am more than open to the fact that that's just my opinion and that other people comment things in different ways. And that is fine as well. And I learn more uh hearing about other people talk about the books and their experiences which are very different than mine and it makes me enjoy the book all the more. So mm. I say I appreciate it all. And I'm sorry that you had to read Aurora, but I still liked it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh all right, before we go, I would like to uh very quickly ask if you have any other books that you've read recently that you would like to mention. Now would be a good time. It's what we call what are you reading, Scott? What are you reading? What am I reading right now? Or, uh, or you I, know, what that you've reached, things that you've read lately that you would like to things, tell us about. Things that I have it's read. It's more of in... a catchy, it's not, what are you reading? Not entirely accurate, but very catchy. So that's why uh, I say it. it. So Scott, what you are you reading in the past?
2: <laughs> <laughs> what have you read, Scott? Yes. What have you read Tenses lately? Tenses are hard. Uh, what did I, I have read, so the Edgar Award nominees came out, so I read a couple of mystery books. Uh, Woman with a Blue Pencil, I enjoyed very much. Is it's it about a copy these. editor? It is. Well, it is kind of it's about a character in the book is writing the book and the editor that he's talking to is changing the book as the book is going along. Uh, oh, And it's a mystery. So read that. I liked it. Oh. It's very short as well. So if you don't like it, uh, it won't be that long. Uh, I also enjoy another meta-fiction kind of thing. I like David Mitchell. He wrote uh, The Cloud Atlas. Uh, He wrote uh, The Bone Clocks, which I enjoy very much. And apparently he wrote so much in the universe of The Bone Clocks that he came out with a little novel called Slade House, which is basically uh, a haunted house tale uh, that's very good and also very short again. Mm. Uh, And I read the latest uh, Bujol book, Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen, which I enjoyed But as I was talking to uh, Dan and Jason in Slack, I spent the entire book waiting for something to happen and nothing really happened. But I still really enjoyed it.
4: Accurate. Uh, Glenn, what are you reading? Well, I like to take all the recommendations from the incomparable. Ah. So I'm recycling ones. I, I finally got to read. I'm actually finally catching up. My children are old enough. I have just enough spare time to be staying almost contemporary with some things or a year or two behind only. And uh, I read The Goblin Emperor, which was discussed and I can give you oh, numbers, yeah. incomparable 251 and 256. Uh, and, uh, I, I really, I adored it. I, uh, thought Yay. I, I was, I, I loved it throughout. I thought it had great characters, great development. It was, uh, you know, the story of a youth becoming older. So it had that, um, uh, you know, this whatever you call that—not uh, a juvenile novel, but whatever it is—and um, really terrific. And I, I was dying for the next book, and then I find nope, she's no, she's just writing this book, one. Yeah. <laughs> Can we convince her to write another one? Because it's a great, she created this wonderful world, is very self-consistent. But I also understand it—you know—works it on its own. But there's a lot of, in that sense, there's a lot of exposition and court stuff to learn for no payoff in future volumes. So I, I was slightly disappointed by that, but I really. Enjoyed it. I'm uh, catching up in the Expanse, as I mentioned, which uh, and I've just bought um, copies. I, I read the first in that series, and I had not read uh, uh, was it Leviathan's Wake. Leviathan
0: right?
4: wakes. Is Leviathan the first Wake, book. Sorry, oh, I was thinking of a, sh- of a whale leaving a wake behind it. No. Sorry, and uh, <laughs> it's the <laughs> <bought> way the <laughs> whale just woke up. And I bought the next three books in the series huh? in used form. Sorry about royalties. Uh, and I'm going to get around finally reading The Martian, which I hear is very good. Huh. <laughs> Okay. I'll catch up. That's on my desk. What
0: will Glenn be reading? Be, <laughs> what will Glenn
4: have been Second. read that other people have read? But I'm Erica, looking forward to all that.
0: what are you reading?
3: Uh, I haven't been reading as much as I would like because I've mostly been job hunting. Um, also, I was preparing for the Gallifrey One convention, so I spent some time reading all all of the Titan run of the uh, Doctor Who comics, uh, with the exception of Paul Cornell's Four Doctors, because I had just read that and remembered it, because I did a panel on those. And they were great. Once again, most of it was a reread. So if you like comics and Doctor Who, highly recommend the Titan books. Um, I have also been reading Julian May's The Many Colored Land for uh, an as yet unannounced project that's coming up. But, uh, uh, me watch too, this me network.
0: too. <laughs> yep. Interesting.
3: Yes, uh, and the other thing that I've been reading is, as usual, Uncanny Magazine, which I which I work for. So you know, full disclosure there. But uh, in issue eight that came out most recently, there were a couple stories that I just loved. One was called "The Creeping Women" by Christopher Barzak, which is a retelling of The Yellow Wallpaper, which is a well known feminist short story and then there's this just delightful tale called the desert glassmaker and the jeweler of berevar by rose lemberg and if you are feeling a little down and you just need a little bit of joy and and uplift in your life i can't recommend that story enough it was just beautiful so yeah check out uncanny magazine all right aline what are you reading
1: I don't know yet, but I can tell you some cool things that I've read. Um, so my friend, uh, Kay Tempest Bradford is a science fiction writer and she has this thing she calls the tiny Tempest challenge, um, Hmm. which is for, for a year is her official challenge. I don't know how long I'm going to do it, but I'm only reading books by people who are societally marginalized. So people who are members of the LGBTQ AIP community, um, women, people of color and that kind of thing. Um, so outside of things that I'm reading, like for the incomparable, that's what all of my reading falls into lately. So I, too, recently read The Goblin Emperor. Um, I didn't like it as much as everyone else did, but um, I was happy to have read it. And um, one book that I've read um, a couple months ago was Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. And mm. it's actually the first of a series in this kind of fantastical world where you um, um, uh, magic is real. I think it's probably like eight, late 1800s, early 1900s England that it takes place in and about how magical people and um, non-magical people um, kind of interact and um, what laws and regulations are around that. It sounds really boring. I didn't like it for the first half, and at the end, I was like, I want more of this, so I really, really recommend that one.
3: That has been on my to-read list for a while. I
1: keep hearing good things. so I, yeah. I bought it, but I haven't read it. Yeah, I it's, liked it a lot. It's good.
0: Scott, thumbs up. I have read it. I liked it. Yeah. All right, I have... uh... I've been reading. I also read Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen by Lois McMaster-Bujol, the latest of the Four Kosigan books. I agree with Scott. Kind of nothing happens in it. The fact is, it's the kind of book you write when you've got a 16-book series <laughs> and you've yes. built up so much history. I mean, seriously, so much history with so many of these characters. The lead character in this book is Cordelia. She was the lead character in chronologically the first two books in the series. She was a fairly young woman. She was, what, like 25 or 30 in, the, in those books. She is now 70 um it 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 connects you know and uses your knowledge of the setting of those books and the characters and their family histories you mourn for characters who have died you know and yeah nothing happens except like a sort of alien bee attack at one point (laughs) that is not that dramatic um okay but on another level um, on another level, a lot of things happen because it, it is like a romance. So it's about, it's about two people who are grieving, um, for a death and then f- discovering themselves, uh, you know, together, a, a connection between the two grieving people that I think is uh, very nice. Um, and it talks you know, there's, there's some social commentary. It goes, it crosses some boundaries that I'm sure will irk some readers, but I thought it was challenging and interesting in its discussion of um, a variety of sexualities and uh, and polyamory as well. I thought it's a really, yeah, I, I, I thought it was great and nothing happens in it. Scott's exactly right. It's just life happening for characters you've known for a long time and you get to see them again. And uh, it gave me a kind of happy feeling reading it, which is uh, all you can ask for.
2: I mean, things do happen, but it's not the – the. you read a Vorkosikin novel and you think big set action set pieces. Yeah, you don't think there's going to – be like a
0: space battle or a gunfight or something like that. And really the bee attack right. is the most dramatic exactly. thing that happens. It's a it.
2: small, intimate story. It's very well done. and uh, But I think, Jason, you and I were talking, and this is not the place that you should jump no. on board the Vorkosikin saga. No. So if you haven't read the other 15
4: books, don't read this don't, one. No, don't. No, don't. I did read uh, – for one of that. the uh, – it was a Hugo. I read well, a standalone one. Uh, because it was sort of off on a separate planet, right? And I and I thought that was great. It worked out very well for me.
0: Yeah, but I that I, I was one. It, it's a great. It's a fantastic series. I I mean, Dan Morin recommended it like four years ago, and I I went and I ripped through like twelve or thirteen books in a very short amount of time. And they are they are not all good, but they are mostly very good um and if you can pick up the uh, cordelia's honor it's like a two-pack it's the first two books in the series chronologically um and you can get that sometimes you can get that really cheap it's a it's a great place to start and a lot of fun so uh that was good and then i i am halfway through grace of kings by ken Liu, which a lot of people (laughs) like and i just am not hacking it and it's nominated for a nebula award and i don't know it uh it's not working for me. Um, it, it's it's very mythical and interesting in its sort of fantasy setting. And it's about a rebellion against a, an evil emperor um, who, well, the emperor, I think it's like the emperor dies, but he, he has set this empire up, which previously the states had all been um, independent states. And now there is a revolt and there are lots of characters many of whom come and go and then there are lots of these sort of set pieces where there are naval battles where there's a whole bunch of things going on that have never been established before that are told kind of in shorthand so you have like the the plot slows down and you've got detail with characters and then suddenly it speeds up and you've just got things tossed off and it's very frustrating so I don't know if I'm going to finish it or not um, it's a shame because it is, it is highly thought of by a lot of people but um, I'm finding it kind of hard to hack That'd
4: be interesting uh, a book club episode so does books we couldn't finish, half finished book club.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I skimmed the last fifty percent book club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Was read
0: it? the Wikipedia page. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the Schmoope uh, Index Part Two. <laughs> uh, get... well, I will say I liked Grace of Kings. So. Yes. Well,
4: <laughs> Scott, I enjoy how embracing you are of things. It's very nice.
0: And and uh, yeah, I would I would say more positivity about Luna: Cole, and New Moon. You should know going in that it is half of a book. It tells a good story, but it is the, the story will continue. It's half of
4: a story. It's a full book. I'm more positive after we talked about it. I actually felt more negative about it before we started talking about. It. I'm like, you know, there are a lot of good points, and I think I'm mostly frustrated about where the narrative is, uh, or more so frustrated than necessarily about the storytelling. So yeah. I'm glad we had this conversation.
0: Sometimes it's good to be. <laughs> it, sometimes it, it's good to know what you're getting into as opposed to bad yeah. I, I, mm. going in completely. I think going in completely blank. If somebody had told me that Aurora was about a completely failed. You know, it's basically this is about why generation ships are a bad idea. I would have been in a much better place mentally for what I got than being than having no expectations. And yeah. Luna Luna I would have felt better about the ending if i had known it was essentially like blackout and all clear, really sort of, you know, one uh, half of a story.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I could picture myself getting into Aurora. I mean, I think uh- about myself. I like watching documentaries about awful things that happened. So, and going into those, you know that they end poorly. I think maybe I could have enjoyed it in somewhat the same way if I would have known.
4: Imagine a Cosmos-like sequence from the new series of just that orbital mechanics part was really brilliant and interesting. The ship's starting to lose its mind a little bit and it's taxing its abilities. It's kind of a cool scene except it's got way too much information but it's kind of, it's a really interesting vignette out of this whole thing in which not very much happens for long periods of time.
0: All right. Well, we're going to close up the book club for now, but I'm glad we got back to it. We'll have to keep our eye out for some more current-ish books to review on a future edition of the book club. And yes, perhaps there are other book-related things coming from The Incomparable. It
3: Hashtag teaser.
0: It could happen. Well, you oh. know, uh, the number one reason not to promote it is it actually has to happen. Yep.
3: <laughs> so let's <laughs> not say anything. That's more
0: until te- It happens. It,
3: may, it may be the biggest tease of yeah, all. <laughs> like it might
0: never happen. We'll see. People have to read the books and record the podcast and then we'll we'll find out. Uh, but until then, I would like to thank my book club because you got through the books, you read the books or at least to skim the books. And that is bo- reading the books is half the battle. I don't know what the other half is. Recording the podcast is the other half. Glenn Fleischman, thank you for being here. A pleasure, and thank you. Erica Ensign, thank you very much. Thank you. Aline Sims, I'm glad you got through it. You had to fight, but you got through it.
1: I did it! Woo! (laughs) Woo!
0: And Scott McNulty, thank you, as always, for being a part of the book club and for suggesting the books. I always feel slightly guilty (laughs) after a podcast (laughs) is over for suggesting books, but I'm glad you keep inviting me back. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to read the books and it's you. Uh, And thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable and we will see you again next week. Goodbye, everybody.